Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. From raptors to squids to giant T-Rexes, we dive into the fossil record. Now, we all know T-Rex that have those long legs and short arms, but what were the long legs used for? Speed or endurance? And is there any evidence for raptors actually hunting in packs? And can we compare them to something around today like Komodo dragons to find out more? Plus, a giant squid and a fish in an epic battle encased for all time in the fossil record. When you think about dinosaurs, one of the ones that comes to mind maybe after the raptors or the gentle brontosaurus, well, you might think about, of course, the king of the lizards, T-Rex, Tyrannosaurus rex. Now, if you've seen Jurassic Park, you probably will recall the scenes of the T-Rex chasing after the cars and the movie's protagonists, actually getting up to a pretty decent speed. And that's because, well, when you think about it, it had long legs, and it seems natural that long legs makes for a good runner. And Certainly that is the case for humans, it helps us to run pretty fast, but humans are also very good at endurance. One of the things that humans enabled us to actually prosper as a species is that we were endurance hunters. We could keep running or walking or chasing after prey, then tire them out. That's actually how early humans and our predecessors actually managed to hunt so efficiently and effectively. So endurance and sprinting. Are two different things. Yes, going for speed is one thing, but sticking around for the long course, that can be just as effective as a predation strategy. And scientists have long generally assumed that the long-limbed dinosaurs evolved their long legs in order to be super speedy to catch prey and to avoid predators. But research published in the journal Plus One by University of Maryland researchers, including Professor Principal Lecturer Thomas Holtz, as well as Alexander Dechi and Alexandra Moleska, have been looking at all kinds of different theropods and comparing their long legs, their gaits, their running speeds, their body mass and their ratios. And they did all of this for about 70 different species of theropods to try and figure out the rough walking and running speeds of these dinosaurs. Now theropods is a pretty diverse bunch. They range in size from less than half a kilogram all the way up to something around nine tons. And Tyrannosaurus rex is just but one of them. There's lots of these two-legged predators. And they dominated the era of dinosaur age around 180 million years ago. And bipedalism and running speed seem to be often attributed to at least to the success of the theropods, in particular of T-Rex. But this study and the analysis actually showed a bit more of a complicated story. Longer legs, sure, were associated with higher top speeds for the smaller and medium-sized dinosaurs, but as the dinosaurs got bigger and weighed over 2,000 pounds, then generally they had a body size that limited their speed, which makes sense. If your body is very large, it doesn't matter what size your legs are, you can't move it terribly fast because your starting and stopping distances are pretty small. And not only that, you actually have a lot of mass to keep at that high speed for a very long time. So the studies show that large dinosaur species with longer legs were no real faster than their stubby-legged brethren. Where there was a benefit was by having movement efficiency. 
because you can calculate how much energy each dinosaur expended while moving and walking at speeds. And we can do this through things like fossil records, track records, where you can see the footsteps of dinosaurs and so on. So there's a lot of information there we can work backwards from. And that's exactly what these researchers did. What they found is that the dinosaurs with longer legs, like the Tyrannosaurus legs, once they're over that sort of upper limit, they actually needed less energy to just cruise around or keep walking pretty fast. They cover large distances relatively efficiently. And that's a huge saving because predators spend a lot of their time just searching for prey, not actively in pursuit. And if you burn less fuel during that searching phase, that means you have a lot of energy left over for the pursuit phase or just generally to hunt prey. It means you can hunt for longer and be more effective as a predator. And if you have shorter legs, then you can't really do that. Your movement has to be more considered and you can't roam as wide as the T-Rex did. And this is an important piece of research because often the proportions of body size and body size parts can actually change the whole dynamic of a creature. Things like the running ability as well as the running speed and the efficiency. And it's a good starting point for probably some further work to look at beyond just the theropods and the 70 considered in this study to see what other body size constraints and balances existed out there. Because obviously speed is just one factor. Endurance might be far more significant, especially for large dinosaurs who have a lot of mass to move around. This is a thought-provoking study published in the journal Plus One from researchers from the University of Maryland, which helps reimagine the way T-Rex may have hunted, more like how a human hunts with long endurance and efficient motion, rather than necessarily the fastest of speeds. science fiction movies involving dinosaurs or Jurassic Park, you name it, is the idea of a very intelligent group of dinosaurs hunting together as a pack, going after prey or even humans. That's the raptors. And this is an interesting idea to these dinosaurs hunting like wolves. Now, on their own, these dinosaurs are pretty terrifying, but as a coordinated pack of hyper-intelligence, well, that makes them even scarier. But the problem is, for researchers, that if you try and analyse the fossil record, you don't actually preserve much of this coordination or hunting behaviour as a group because it doesn't fossilise particularly well. We obviously can't watch them hunt in person. We have to use indirect methods to try and analyse this. And what is more challenging about this idea is that pack hunting, whilst proposed by a famed paleontologist from Yale, there's not a lot of similar evidence of that behaviour in both living dinosaurs and their relatives at the time. So if you look at birds, current alive birds and crocodilians and other dinosaurs at the, in a similar era, 
there's not a lot of fossilized record of pack behavior, but also there's no counterpoints to look at in the modern era that shows coordinated group hunting taking down a larger prey. So we can't see with real life animals whether or not this behavior is replicated because there's no real examples of that. You don't see crocodiles teaming up to take down a boat, for example. Or maybe a dugong would probably be a better one. Rather, we often see crocodiles attacking the same prey, but not necessarily in a coordinated fashion. The cooperation may be there, but it's quite limited, not a hyper-intelligent pack hunting together like wolves. So, and really, to study this, you need to find a way to actually see what they ate. Now, the scientists from University of Oklahoma and Sam Nobleson Museum, such as Fredrickson, Engel, and Cefeli, took an example of a creature that we know that is around right now. It's a large and terrible lizard that is a predator that hunts and is very devastating. That is the Komodo dragon. Now, Komodo dragons are very interesting because they are a large lizard that hunts. They're four legs rather than bipedal, but they are pretty interesting to look at as a predator example. Because Komodo dragons, their babies, when they hatch, aren't fed by the adults. The babies are actually at risk of being eaten by the adults. So they take refuge in trees. Now, because they're small, they can climb up to the trees and reach all kinds of food that their larger ground-dwelling parents, peers, can't actually get to. Now, what they see in something like wolves, where you actually have a relationship between the older and the younger, or maybe lions as well, you can see where there's feeding passed on from the pack that hunts and food brought back for the rest of the pack. You have a cooperation in the feeding behavior that benefits the younger species of the species as well as the older ones. Now, in Komodo dragons, you don't see that because obviously the older ones actually often quite regularly consume the younger babies. So you can see in the diet of these Komodo dragons a real dietary diversity from the younger age and the old age, where at some point they get too big to climb those trees and eat their other sources of food and are able to fend off attacks on the ground. So with that idea, looking at a large, terrible lizard that exists around today, the team of researchers took to trying to analyze the diets of young raptors versus old raptors to see if this hypothesis had any merit to it. And to do this, they needed to get chemistry data from the teeth of the raptor Deinychus, which lived in North America around the Cretaceous period, which is about 115 to 108 million years ago. And they used isotopes of carbon and oxygen to get an idea of the diet and water source for these animals. They compared them to crocodilian and herbivorous dinosaurs from the same region, just to make sure that they could control in the experiment. And what they found is that the crocodilian dinosaurs, like modern species, show a difference in diet between the smallest and the largest teeth. That means there was a transition in their diet from when they had one food source to another. And that's exactly what you expect when the parents don't provide the food for the young. They see the same pattern with the raptors, where the smallest teeth and the largest teeth don't have the same types of carbon there, indicating that they were eating different types of food. This means if they're eating different types of food between the old raptors and the young raptors, they're not sharing the same food source, they're not being fed, they're not getting food brought back from the pack or sharing the spoils of the pack hunt. And that's why they hypothesize that it's more likely, at least according to their study, that these raptors, or at least this one that they were looking at, the Dionychus in this case, 
actually didn't hunt as a collective pack, just all sort of fed on the same prey, and more likely had a transition point between the young and the old raptors. Now, this is one species, and there may be another species that were able to hunt in packs and did cooperate and didn't have a kind of large diversity or split shift in their diet. But it's a good hypothesis that can now be extrapolated on and tested in a lot of other species to see if you can actually find evidence of this pack hunting. Because it gives a way to actually measure it rather than just hypothesizing about without much direct evidence. Because we can study the actual diets and what they ate to get some hard evidence on what their food sources were and how they got about it. So some interesting research published in the journal Paleography, Paleoclimatology and Paleoecology from researchers Fredrickson, Engel and Clefelli. The idea of a giant squid attacking a large ship or a whale and having an epic battle with it before sinking it into the water is a pretty compelling image that appears in science fiction and literature and you name it. But now scientists from the University of Plymouth, Southern England, have discovered a 200 million year old example of a squid-like creature attacking its prey and dragging it into the depths. This fossil was originally found on the Jurassic coast of southern England in the 19th century, and it's housed at the moment within the collections of the British Geological Survey in Nottingham. But by now diving and analysing these fossils in detail, the researchers seem to say that it shows a creature, which they've called Clacthetius Montefiori, grabbing a herring-like fish, Dothesis bikai, in its jaws. If you look at the positions of the arms of this squid-like creature around the body, it suggests that it's not actually a nice quirk of fossilization, but it's actually capturing the literal moment when this squid attacked this fish and dragged it into the depths, all the way around between 190 to 199 million years ago. And that's a really super old example, and it predates any other example of a kind of squid attack by at least 10 million years. Now, what's interesting about this example is that it was a pretty violent struggle between the large fish and this large squid because, well, both of them have died and ended up in the fossil record. So how this might have happened and caused a subsequent death during this epic tussle between these two creatures is particularly interesting. Now, they can see that the fish's head was crushed by the attacker. First, perhaps the fish was too large for its attacker and it became stuck in the jaws. And that meant that it got sunk to the bottom and preserved. But it's quite possible as well that this squid tried to sink with the fish to the bottom of the ocean, where it was able to hold down the prey and avoid any other predators around trying to snatch it off it. problem with doing so, this distraction sinking method, is that you could enter an area of low oxygen content in the water, which may, of course, lead to suffocation. But whatever happened... Whether the battle was too epic with wounds too grievous to the squid that caused it to expire, or the fish managed to choke the squid and have the last laugh, 
Both of them were preserved in striking detail for us to be able to look at now, millions of years in the future, and actually have the precise moment when a squid was attempting to chow down on a fish and have this epic tug-of-war between the two species. Now, the results of this analysis and findings were being presented as part of a conference, an online conference, proceedings of the Geological Association, which has been part of the Sharing Geoscience Online, which will be a virtual version of the traditional General Assembly of the European Geosciences Union. Just another way that people are adapting to do scientific conferences in the current era. And this is just another classic example of diving through the fossil records and archives collected in the late 19th century, now with a modern eye trying to find details that we can use to enlighten our understanding of squids and marine biology all the way back in the Sinumian period. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From fossilised squid attacks to finding out what T-Rex used their long legs for, and whether or not raptors managed to hunt in packs or used another mechanism to feed their young. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.